Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers. Big apologies for my lateness. School run. <laughs> you get back late if you leave late it's interesting (laughs) here we go so we're on genesis chapter 12 today and so let's pray lord jesus we love you we welcome you into our homes again today and into our hearts lord we invite you to speak to us and refresh us in your love again today and your promises and your goodness in jesus name amen so good stuff so we are in genesis chapter 12 good morning kathy and we're looking at the beginning of the story of god's dealings with abraham and at this point in time he's called abram and he's this is he's we we heard yesterday didn't we that he'd just been called out of Ur of the Chaldees, which was an incredibly advanced, civilised city in um, somewhere in Iran, Iraq, that kind of area. And it was known for its technology and uh, things like um, astrology and all of those things were big in the city. So it was a pagan city and they studied the stars. Buenos dias, Flor. Good morning, John. And uh, they had their kind of technologies geared up towards kind of telling the future by observing the stars and the planets and this kind of thing, which is really interesting um, that this was the culture Abraham was in. And I think it's really important as we think on the backdrop of the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves. We just hold that thought because that's going to come up as we look at what God promised to Abraham. And uh, also that Abraham was just this obscure guy in a a massive city, in a huge metropolis. He was there, unknown, unheard of. Hi, Hannah and Addison. Good morning, Alison. And uh, so God called him, even from obscurity, and now every it's so many people, many, 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 many millions of people in the world today, all these thousands of years later, know his name. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. <clears throat> and I will make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonours you, I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is incredible, isn't it? So this random seemingly guy, this obscure guy, hidden among the multitudes, God calls him out and says, Abraham, I've got a plan for you. And Abraham responds to God and leaves um, leaves the city and goes off. Now notice that God doesn't tell him where they're going and how long it's going to take to get there or even what it's going to look like when they do get there. God just says, I want you to go and leave your father's house and your kindred and all the rest of it and get go into a place where I'm going to send you now. It's really interesting when Jesus calls the, the uh, first disciples and their fishermen, he says, follow me. He doesn't say where he's going, what he's going to be doing, what their life is going to be um, <laughs> consist of now as they leave their nets behind. They left their nets and they followed him. And do you know what? God still reserves the right to do that, to call us to follow him. And he's kind of thin on detail sometimes. And what he gives us in that initial call is just a sense. Whoa, God has called me. Or oh, that's all I know. I, I know that he's got hold of me somehow. He's grabbed me in my heart and I have to go with him. And I, I, I'm up for it. Wherever we're going, I'm up for it. And so many of us have jumped on that call from God to follow him and and we we find ourselves in places and situations we never imagined we'd be in and it's because we've hitched up with Jesus and we're going for the ride with him and it's amazing isn't it it's a big adventure and I'm not all not everybody's up for adventures are they and not everyone's really gets excited by <laughs> going somewhere where they don't know of and lots of people want a bit more information and God does give us bits of information, little snippets along the way. Hi, Paul. Great to see you. Yeah, we're up for it, aren't we, Paul? And uh, so, but this is this wonderful word he says over him. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. So here we are. He's obscure. The, the worry of those people who were building the Tower of Babel was that their name would be forgotten. And God says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. Isn't that incredible? So Abraham, he gets his, I keep saying Abraham, Abraham gets his name changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations, I think. And uh, his name is great. And the, the Muslim world all revere him as their, their father of the faith. The Christian and Jewish world all revere him as their father of the faith and so on. And so he, yeah, I mean, and of course, there would be that time when the Messiah would come through the genealogical line of Abraham. And so all the earth would be blessed. You and I are blessed because of Abraham, because Jesus comes from the seed, if you like, the biological descent from Abraham. And so, oh, wow. And the promises that God made to Abraham, we get to get in on because of Jesus. So all of those incredible promises that God made to Abraham are up for grabs for us as well as believers, even Gentile believers, because of Jesus. Right. OK, we could talk some more about that. But verse four, it says, so Abraham went 
as the Lord had told him. That is a great little summary. He went as the Lord had told him. Now, we know he got held up in Haran, the place of barrenness. But listen to this. So Abraham was seven. Um, so, sorry, Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Now, God did say, leave your family. Lot's come along for the ride. Lot wasn't an entire blessing to Abraham and was a distraction and caused Abraham to get tangled up in some other stuff, which, however, let's not judge Abraham. He did what God had said to him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, listen, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So even though Haran means barrenness, God prospered Abraham there and he began to attract and build a household with many people attached to it. Now we know as we read on through that Abraham had a private militia of 300 guys. So he was a shake. This guy was a proper big fish. And although when God called him, he was one on his own. By the time he's moved to Haran, he by the time he leaves Haran, rather, he's got a, an entourage of people and possessions that he's acquired there. And so God's favour is on him even at this stage of his life, but still no children. So um, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. Now Shechem turns up many times in the future in the story of Israel as a nation. This is Abraham's first moment of walking through the land and he comes by this place to the Oak of Moreh. Now Moreh means teacher interestingly and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Now remember there, there had been a curse on the Canaanites from Noah and we'll see what happens to them in a bit but they were occupying the land and doesn't seem at this point that Abraham had too much trouble being there and even though he was a herdsman with a big old retinue of flock and people he seemed to be not treated badly by the people of Canaan when he turns up with his flocks. And I would imagine the land was relatively sparsely populated. Morning, Tracy Ann. Um, but I don't know. So I'm speculating there. So don't quote me on that. So the Lord appeared to Abraham at this place of the, the oak of teaching or the teaching, the oak that's called teacher the lord appeared to abraham and said to your offspring i will give this land so he built there an altar to the lord who had appeared to him from there he moved to the hill country on the east of bethel and pitched his tent we hear a lot about bethel in the future it means house of god um i guess it wasn't called that then but this is a kind of retrospective look at where he went so from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Right, now interestingly, Bethel does come up soon 
in the story with Jacob. And uh, it's a really interesting point because Jacob is lying there and he doesn't realise that God is actually in this place. And what we see again and again and again throughout the history um, of the Israelite nation is God appeared to them in one way and another way and another way. And they had, there were layers of encounter with God in these particular geographic places that become known as places of encounter. It's really, really interesting. There's lots that's been said about holy places and thin places where it's like heaven is within reach. Oh, wow. You know, God is in this place and I didn't know it, Jacob says. And Abraham is kind of out on his journey with God and he thinks right this is significant we're here we're in the land of Canaan God makes this incredible promise to him and says to your offspring I will give this land and we'll talk about that in just a second but then he kind of seals that moment he kind of captures that moment not with a selfie with the tree or anything like that because obviously they didn't have that kind of stuff going on but he builds an altar and offers a sacrifice to God and worships God in that place so he's kind of declaring this land holy isn't he he's kind of bringing worship of G of God himself you know he said Jesus then but we could say Jehovah worship of Yahweh into this land and he's kind of establishing this is spiritual warfare when we start to worship God we are engaging in warfare and we're saying the earth is the Lord and the fullness of it and I'm devoting this little spot here right now where I am to worship him I am making my kitchen holy by worshiping Jesus in this place right so when we read this promise to your offspring I give you I will give this land this is a promise that God made to Abraham and it's it stands, doesn't it? God doesn't change his mind. Now, when we read things like this in the Old Testament and they're very far removed, they're kind of ancient history. Um, it's kind of in the set. We think of it in the same kind of category as the Anglo-Saxons come into England. And, you know, we now we have Anglo-Saxon blood in this country and they're names and towns and stuff named after Anglo-Saxon names uh, be, that have been there since that time and so we've accepted it it's kind of normal if the Anglo-Saxons or a people group like them were to invade us again now we'd be really upset and we'd have something to say about it it'd be all over the social media and they've come and they've burnt our villages and they, you know, done all these dreadful things. It would be everywhere, wouldn't it? And it would, we would be very upset about it. Well, when these things happen and God gives this land to Abraham back then, nobody had social media. We don't have a personal account from somebody down the road and how they felt about that. Whereas we do now. And so what we see as the nation of Israel is contending for that place still and is it's being challenged by the other people groups around them particularly the Palestinians where it's it's hard to unhook from that kind of thing of wow this seems really tough you know this is really you know how can these people live here and these people also have a claim to it how can this be and how can they work out their stuff well 
And we are all over it, aren't we? Eyes of the world media on this little tiny piece of land that God actually said to Abraham, I'm going to give this to your seed. Now, I don't want to upset anybody, but I'm just going to say this because <laughs> we know that God's promise comes from um, Isaac. But at this point, Isaac hasn't been born. So God's promise came to Abraham through Isaac. and they, they, Isaac was the inheritor of that. But at this point, Isaac hasn't been born. And we believe and we look back retrospectively with the eyes and we say, this is Isaac, of course, that God's talking about. But Ishmael also was Abraham's seed, wasn't he? And so there we have the source of the contention. And we'll come to that in a bit. I'm really, really jumping the gun and giving you a plot spoiler. But um, Ishmael, too, can be or could argue I have a claim to this land because I'm his seed now that I know that's contentious I'm not trying to make a point I'm just saying that there is a very very complex set of issues going on here and when we read these things it seems so straightforward it's like yeah of course yes Abraham should have the land God promised it to him anyway so we'll come back to that no doubt Lots of people might have something to say on that one. And all comments are gratefully received, but just be nice to each other. <laughs> so he built an altar there um, and he called on the name of the Lord and Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went to down to Egypt to sojourn there. That means to stay a while because he was going as a somewhat as a economic migrant or a refugee he needed some help in a time of famine so everything was gone barren in the land he'd gone to and you kind of think hold on a minute god you're prospering him in the land that's called barren haran that actually means barrenness and now he's gone to the promised land where it's supposed to be everything's great and this is god's place of provision for him is all dried up it's like what this is not unusual is it this is actually part of the challenge of walking with God sometimes it doesn't work out quite how we thought it would even though we've got the promise written down in our bible in front of us and we're like God you said this and then anyway we don't hear Abraham having much to say to God about that but he does nip down to Egypt to get some food now obviously Egypt is a very fertile place it's the floodplains the Nile Delta and stuff and it was known to be reliably fruitful although we do also know of some famines that hit Egypt don't we so when he was about to so because the famine was so severe in the land so he's got to go there otherwise he'll die out and all the promises of God will be down the toilet anyway so when he's about to enter Egypt he said to Sarai his wife I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance wow now he's not just flattering his wife and saying darling you look hot even though you're old and wrinkly he's not saying that he she he's being objective he's looking at her and thinking gosh she's amazing you know I mean like her beauty is unparalleled I'm going to get in big trouble when I go down to Egypt because everyone's going to want her and they'll probably kill me. And, you know, and so he says, let's come up with this story. Verse 12, it says, 
When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say, to, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, we do know that, that Sarai was Abraham's half-sister. Now, that would be a problem now. Evidently, it wasn't back then. And genetically, there was much less kind of mutation. So you could say, because they were much closer to the originals, I suppose. So you could say, well, it wasn't such an issue. Anyway, whatever. They were married. So let's not be trying to put 21st century values on them. Let's just take it that they were married and she was his half-sister. And somehow that was okay. So they, So in Abraham's little furtive brain, he's thinking... They're going to come after me for you, Sarai. So let's tell them, which is sort of semi the truth, is a half truth. Let's say you're my sister. Well, what did, how could anybody be happy with this solution? So they come and say, Abraham, we're going to take your sister because our prince wants her for his wife. How could that be okay for Sarai? So I don't know whatever was going on in Abraham's head, and I am a bit judgy about that, because I think, take the hit, man. You know, man up and take the risk. But he was... Ah, anyway, the what is incredible about the story of Abraham is in the, in the future, in the book of Hebrews, he'll be written of as a man of faith, not only as a man of faith, but a hero of faith who didn't waver through unbelief. Well, he was on a journey, let's just say that, and at this point, his behaviour doesn't really appear to be much to do with faith. It seems to be more about fear. And so when Abraham, <clears throat> uh, blah, 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 where do we get to? So when Abraham entered Egypt, verse 14, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. This, I, yeah, I know it's questionable morally, isn't it? It's like, hold on a minute. You have just given your wife to Pharaoh and in return, you're getting all this these goodies like camels and servants and donkeys and stuff. Man, this is morally sketchy, isn't it? So anyway, but listen, God is on the watch. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh, Pharaoh verse 17, and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So even if Abraham is being fast and loose, God is not. And so Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away and with his wife and all that he had. So they didn't ask for all the goodies back, which was amazing. They let him go and they sent her off. Now, the Lord sent plagues on the house of Pharaoh. What was God doing? Sarah, or Sarai as she was then, 
was the woman who was going to give birth to the child of promise. It was very, very important that she did not get um, impregnated, I'm trying to be delicate, by a pagan king. That would have gone right against God's promise. What God wanted to do was bring a child to a childless woman and a childless man late in life so that everybody in the world at the time and in the future would see that this was a significant supernatural event that God had done. Abraham and Sarai are still trying to catch up with that. They don't really realise what God's doing because they don't get the end of the book. They just get the middle bit that they're in right now. And that's where they're up to. And so they're trying to work it out as they go along and they make come up with this ruse. But is it so interesting that God begins to judge Pharaoh with plagues? Now, 400 years or more later, this is going to be history repeating itself. It's a shame Pharaoh didn't write it down and say, note to, for, note to self, don't mess with God's people, least of all Abraham's descendants, because if you do, God will send you plagues. And of course, we know, don't we, the story of the plagues that fell on the house of Egypt all those years later when Moses wanted to take the people out to freedom. I think it was more than 400 years, a long time later. Anyway, so there we go. We have this incredible story. Now, what is beautiful about the Bible is it doesn't hold back. It tells us the story, warts and all. We get to see our heroes within all of their fallibility. And it is so cool that even Abraham, or Abraham as he was at this point, who we all celebrate as this incredible hero of faith, actually he was sketchy. He made poor decisions. He compromised and put his wife seriously at risk. We're not saying that's okay. We're just saying God takes us through this journey with all our fallibility and all our chaotic decision making at times. And when history's done and God looks back on us, he says, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're thinking, what? Good and faithful servant, chaotic and messy servant. Yeah, but God looks on it and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so you guys, wherever you're at in the story, there is an end coming. And that in that end of that story, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did it. You walked. You took the journey. You went to the place I was showing you, even when you couldn't see where it was and you didn't know how much further it was going to be. So wherever you're at in the journey today, May God bless you, smile on you, and may you hear his voice cheering you on right in the middle of even the crazy stuff. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life 
pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.